Well, good morning, church. Welcome to El Paso Bible Church, to all of you that are in attendance with us and all of you also that are, that are watching online. Nice to have you here. Uh, nice to have also Lindsay Stutzman with us. She's going to lead music. Some of you may remember her as Lindsay Holmes. Yes. So she's back to lead music for us today because Jacob's going to have a different role today. All right. If you want to open your Bibles to uh, Psalm 84, that's where I'll be reading. Hopefully uh, you received a bulletin and know that uh, the only activities we have are women's Bible study uh, this week on Tuesday. Uh, Are the youth meeting tonight? Yes, I heard a yes, so that must be a yes for everybody. So we have the ladies on Tuesday, the youth are meeting tonight. And uh, I think that's all to all to identify for you and remind you of, other than other than signing up for VBS. VBS will be in July, and so it will be important for you to sign up, and that way we can prepare and plan for uh, for those activities. It's always a big event uh, for the church. All right. Let's go to uh, Psalm 84. I'm going to read verses 11 and 12. And they say, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Why don't you bow your heads with me? We'll pray together and then we'll sing together. Lord God, we do uh, begin this day, begin this service, coming to you, Lord, to seek your your blessing upon our day, upon our service, and I ask for your blessing upon those who are here with us and those who are watching online. Father, we know that you hear us. We know that you're attentive to all of our needs, and we know, Lord, also that you respond in a way that is best for us. We ask you for things many times, and and we ask amiss. And you always answer, Lord, and you always answer in the right time and the right way. So, Father, we bring our petitions to you today to bless our service, to bless those who also, Lord, who are not able to be with us today, who are homesick or who are traveling or returning from, uh, from trips. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, guide us and direct us today, that our hearts might be open to the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Good morning, church. It's wonderful to be back with you all again. Please stand with us as we worship the Lord together.
Good morning, good morning. Welcome to El Paso Bible Church. I want to say to Lindsay and the team, thank you, thank you, thank you very much for leading worship this morning. Um, Lindsay emailed me uh, several weeks back and said, hey, Jacob, I'll be in town such and such date. I would love to be a backup singer. And next thing you know, she's leading worship for us. So <laughs> it kind of worked out. I appreciate that. And uh, before I dismiss the children this morning, I would like to have Lily Johnson and Grady come up. Uh, they were sharing with you several weeks back about their desire to go on a trip, so um, they're back. So I'm going to let them take the stage. Hello. There we go. There it is. Hi, I'm Lily Johnson, and this is Grady. And like he said, a few weeks back, I made a request asking for funds to help me go on a missions trip to the Grand Canyon. So before we begin, I would like to thank you all for helping me raise $750, which enabled Grady to come with me because we had enough money for both of us. (laughs) So every day of the trip, we went to the Grand Canyon and had a lesson on the significance of the Grand Canyon because it signified that the flood really did happen and that all of Genesis is true. And we, after that, after our lesson, we would evangelize to different, all the hikers that, at the Grand Canyon. Um, So the most interesting religion I had encountered was a woman who believed that each of us had a God inside of us and the world was formed by a glacier. Grady? I met a guy who, his name was John. He thought that you had to be as close as you could to be perfect to go to heaven. And then my friend told him to read the book of John. My favorite part of the Grand Canyon was just looking at it and hiking right next to it because it was so humongous. The average width is 10 miles long or across and then it is 250 miles long. My favorite part was seeing everybody's world views. A world view is where is a person's way of looking at the world. A a Christian uh, world view would be looking through the Bible and seeing the same things 
that the Bible tells you. Thank you for helping me us go on this trip. And if you have any questions, you can talk to me after church. Thank you. Hey, a lot of exciting things happening at El Paso Bible Church. Between that and a beautiful wedding that we had this past Friday, serious admonitions with Pastor Josh that happens to be in the front pew the day he doesn't preach. Uh, but awesome things. We need more of this. We need more young Christian people getting married and setting an example in our uh, culture's climate. And we need more young kids uh, searching God. If you would go with me, children, you know what to do. You're dismissed. Get out of here. Paul's epistle to Titus, chapter 2, while they do that, if you like, uh, if you want to follow in your Bibles, Uh, before we do that, let us pray. Father, we are thankful this morning for your grace to us. I thank you for your love. Thank you for loving us every day in spite of who we are and what we do. And we ask that you bless our time together as we study your word. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So we are in Titus chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 11 through 15. Uh, For those of you that don't know, Titus is a church leader. He is one of Paul's trusted companions, a partner of him. And as far as we can tell, he is assigned to the church in Crete to bring some organization and logistics to teach them right doctrine. Uh, the church there was facing several issues, and one of them, one of the main ones being the false teachers that were encouraging ungodliness, encouraging Christians, believers in Jesus Christ to engage in worldly lusts. And, and that, is, that is bad on many fronts, but especially in the light of the coming of Jesus Christ, his judgment seat where he will evaluate our time here on earth. Now, Titus was definitely the right man for the job. He had previously uh, been sent to uh, Corinth to correct some issues with the Corinthians. So he had some experience. It wasn't his first rodeo. He is sent to the church in Crete. And Paul's letter to Titus is one of the few letters in the New Testament that explain how church should be done, along with First and Second Timothy. This is Church 101. There is a balance. There is an excellent balance between theology and practical living throughout the letter. Uh, He talks about leadership. Paul talks about leadership and their conduct. He talks about domestic relationships, how they should relate to each other. And there seems to be an emphasis throughout the epistle on good works, on how to behave as a believer in Jesus Christ. So verse 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now the main components here, the main word is, it has appeared. We see it towards the last of the verse, but in the original language, it has appeared comes first. Now, if you were to barge into your house or to a doctor's office or any building and say, it has appeared, it is here, I assured you would get everyone's attention. And this is the idea for Paul. It is, it is here, it has appeared. Epiphany means to become visible or to bring light. This word is used by Luke in his gospel to describe the contrast between light and darkness. So Paul is saying that this, this grace of God appears like the sun cutting through darkness. The, the grace of God cuts through a world of sin. It shines upon the world and it becomes visible. So it has appeared. The, the grace of God has appeared. Now, grace is probably one of the most powerful yet simple words that I've been introduced to. I was raised, for some of you that know, I was raised in a legalistic church. And what I mean by legalistic is that they had a lot of rules, prohibitions, really. You cannot do this. You cannot do that. Um, back in my time, they've, they've, they've come a long way. But when I was a kid, we couldn't go to a theater. That was a no-no. That was a sin. And there were so many rules, it was, it was impossible to follow them. But these, these prohibitions, these rules were meant to keep you saved. Just, just follow them and your entrance to heaven is guaranteed. They will teach. But grace offers to humanity something that no organization, no set of rules, no set of prohibitions or person can offer. And that is to be redeemed from the slave market of sin by simply trusting Jesus Christ. All free. No strings attached. 
You've all gotten the Burger King coupons that say free Whataburger, or free Whataburger, that's Whataburger, free Whopper. And then in the fine prints, you have to purchase a Whopper to get the free Whopper. So they still make their money, a little less, but they still make their money. But no strings attached, this grace is, is free, no promissory notes required. And since grace means an unmerited favor, a free gift, you cannot pay for it before, during, or after. You cannot compete for it, else it becomes a prize. This grace is not limited to Jesus' sacrifice and what he accomplished. It is a blessing for all of humanity. It encompasses the giving of the Holy Spirit to the world, the presence of the church, and the ministry that we have to the world, and much more. But Paul says that it has appeared to all men. It is available to all people. It is not limited to a group of, of people. It is not limited to gender. The word is anthropoise, and it refers to humankind, all people, all nations, no exclusions. Some will say it is talking about those that will eventually believe and only to those who will eventually believe in Jesus. And to get to this point, they usually have to go through all sorts of gymnastics. But grace is not limited to a group of people. So this first appearance, this First Advent is good news to all people. This is the John 3.16 message that God loved the world to the point that he gives his unique son, his one-of-a-kind, begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And for those of us that have been changed by the first Advent, by trusting in Jesus Christ through faith, verse 12 says it teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly <clears throat> in the present age. So this grace of God is twofold in this section of Scripture. On the one hand, and as far as humanity is concerned, you need to do one thing and one thing only, and that is trust in Jesus Christ. And you either believe or you don't. You're either condemned or you're redeemed. John 3.36 says that if you trust in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. But if you do not believe, the wrath of God is upon you. Uh, this is something that uh, I teach the youth group at least once or twice every year. We go through a series called Roots, and it talks about the basics of Christianity. But the first lesson, most important lesson that any, everyone should understand is how do you get to heaven when you die? And I was telling them, you can't be in a state of neutrality. You cannot be in the bleachers. Either believe in Jesus Christ or you do not believe. So on the other hand, for the saved people, grace trains us. Notice the, the us in verse 12. And us points to Paul. It points to Titus. Uh, it points to the church in Crete primarily, but eventually to other believers that would be instructed by this letter to us thousands of years later. So what's next is not a theme that we should be trying to instill in a Christ-rejecting person. They, they need to believe. But for those that have trusted Jesus, it trains us. And a common mistake in understanding grace is that it is only some sort of free pass to do anything you want. All you do is trust Jesus and, and you get a free pass to heaven. And while this is true, it misses an important aspect of God's grace. Some will say that grace will encourage you to live like the devil. And this is far from reality. The grace of God that brings salvation to all people, it gets you saved, but it then trains you how to live so that you may also save your life and your time here on earth. It, it instructs, us, instructs us both negatively and positively. Uh, you parents think of how you train your children. The entire process involves a few things. It involves teaching, encouragement, it seems that it involves a lot of correction, a lot of discipline. But all of these things are crucial to the training process in our children. So grace trains us to renounce a life without God. To deny ungodliness and worldly lust. We are to say no to ungodliness and worldly lust. That which God hates, we are to hate. That which God says no to, we are to say no to. Essentially sin, right? And sin looks different for everyone. Uh, you may struggle with a sin of omission. 
and another believer may struggle with a sin of commission. Uh, the church where I was raised, uh, we had a protest against Halloween. Uh, we would go up and down as kids, up and down the streets of the church neighborhood in Juarez. And we would have this chant, we would say in Spanish, say no to Halloween, say no to Halloween. And all the, myself included, we were bummed because we wanted the candy. We don't care about Halloween, we just wanted the candy. So we would have this chance to say no to Halloween, and we were trying to get, they were trying to get the people to not only avoid the celebration, but renounce it, as supposedly we did, most of the kids. So the idea here is that we should not only say no thank you to ungodliness and worldly lust, but renounce it, have nothing to do with it. And as you go on to maturity in your walk with Jesus Christ, you will find out that there is a lot of renouncing to do. By the power of God, you are able to overcome a weakness, whatever that weakness is, only to find out that there is more to deal with, more baggage, more stuff, more sin. So grace trains us on uh, first to renounce a life without God, to renounce ungodliness. And here Paul doesn't stop on, he doesn't end on the negative end of things. In fact, in most of his epistles, when he has a command for you to stop doing something, he usually comes back and says, do this instead. So he says, do not steal, but work with your hands that you may be able to provide to those in need. Uh, don't, people, don't put people down by what you say, but build them up, edify them, talk good about them. So on the flip, lights, flip, flip side, Paul says we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. Verse 12, it is not guaranteed that you see that. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly. It is, it is not a given. My dad oftentimes shares his story of, on how he, he came to trust Jesus. And, and the moment he did, he was able to stop a lot of bad habits. And the, the big one for him was getting drunk all the time, seriously drunk. And many experience that. See, many experience say, 180-degree turn when you trust in Jesus. But that is not the case for everyone. For many, it will be a lifetime struggle. So keep in mind that we should live this way is not a guarantee. There's still some work to be done. In John 10, 10, Jesus says that he has come that we may have life and have it more abundantly. Uh, Jesus came not only to bring spiritual life to people, but he came to bring the best quality of life to them. The eternal life that Jesus gives is not just eternal, but it is also rich. He did not just come to gain sheep, but to enable his sheep to flourish and to enjoy contentment and every other good thing possible. And this is a goal for every Christian. This, this should be our goal, to live in such a way that would bring honor to God and live a life of abundance, a rich life, an excellent life as, as God desires for us. It means taking up our cross every day and following him. So on the positive side, grace trains us to live soberly. Uh, soberly concerns us, concerns you and me. We should have self-restraint, a word that comes from save and mind. And Paul joins the two and advises us to save our mind. Now we know that our minds are a battlefield for our enemy. He, he infiltrates our lives through our minds. And hence Paul says in Romans 12 that, that we are to be transformed, a complete change, by the renewing of our minds. So Paul says that grace trains us to live soberly. Guard your minds. Live soberly. This is another thing that we um, hammer on, the, on our youth group. Um, see, when I was a kid, we didn't have smartphones. We had the brick phones. You know the brick phones? You older people know what I'm talking about. I'm not quite there. I didn't have a brick phone. I had a flip phone, though. But with the invention of smartphones, there is much at stake. And teenagers especially need to guard their minds. But that is also a very good idea for us adults. Guard your minds. Live soberly. Grace also trains us to live righteously. Living righteously concerns other people. And speaking to the Thessalonians, Paul has him remember how he lived righteously in their midst. 
to live in such a way that it brings delight to others around you. It puts forth an example for them to follow. We learn about Abraham and how he lived a life of righteousness before God to the point that he was called a friend of God. In John 15, Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So grace trains us to live righteously in the midst of other people. Grace also trains us to live godly. Now, godly concerns God. It comes also from two words, meaning good or excellent and, and worship. We may say excellent worship. Worshiping God in everything we do. Bringing honor to his name as his ambassadors here on earth. Uh, to live godly means to have an attitude of worship toward God. And this involves worshiping in song on its most basic level. Uh, but it also means having a constant attitude of reverence toward God. So grace trains us to live soberly, righteously, and godly, and we do this in the here and now. This is our only shot, our only opportunity to live significantly. Verse 13 tells us, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So another thing that grace trains us to do is to look above and look forward. That is a blessing. It should be a blessing for us to be able to live with a constant expectation of that day when God will glorify our bodies, as known as the rapture. We live soberly. We live righteously. We live godly in light of the coming of Jesus Christ for us. In a particular federal prison, there is a waiting area for visiting day, Saturdays and Sundays, as known as the library. Really, the whole prison is a waiting day, right? You're just waiting there for your out to date. And from the library, from this waiting area, you can see the parking lot as an inmate, and you can see when your relatives or friends arrive to visit you. And from the moment they get to the parking lot, it's only a matter of about five to ten minutes from the time they arrive and enter the building, fill out the form, to the time, to the time you get the call on the intercom to report to the, visitor, to the visitor's room. Now, do not ask me how I know this. I just happen to have this information. <laughs> now, routine goes like this. You, you shower, you put on your best prison attire, you put on some cologne. Don't ask me how they get that either. You head to the library and you start reading some serious academic study. Yeah, right. The minds of the inmates are set on one thing and one thing only, and that's their visit, on looking good, on breaking the monotony of doing time and ultimately visiting with their loved ones. Not one single thing can distract you from it. And again, although everyone looks like they're into some serious academic study, that's, that's not the case. You never see them there from Monday through Friday. They're just there Saturdays and Sundays. Don't ask me how I know this. But this is the same idea for every believer. We ought to be looking through the window. We ought to be looking above and looking forward, waiting for the day when Christ will meet us in the air. He'll snatch us up in the air. And although we, although we may look busy doing other earthly things, our mindset should be, on the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That blessing to know that we will be with our Savior one day. First John 2.28, we read that we are to abide in Jesus. That when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. This is a thing that we are hopeful for, church. Not the tribulation, not death, not the chaos that the end times will bring, but his coming for us. And we have this hope, not, not something that we wish for merely, but something that will surely come to pass. We have an assurance that his coming will come to pass. And it is a joyful and confident expectation. Last two verses, verse 14 and 15 who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed 
and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. So Paul is concerned throughout the epistle of how the church lives. Uh, just in these few verses that we've read, notice the number of times he talks about the believer's behavior. Uh, really in the entire letter, he's, he's, he talks, he gives an emphasis on good works, on, on how we act in earth. And he closes this section by reminding us what Christ's sacrifice accomplished, and that is true redemption. Uh, John Newton author of the hymn Amazing Grace. He was a famous hymn writer. He began his life's career by searching throughout the African coast for slaves to capture and eventually sell for profit. On one journey, Newton and his crew encountered a storm that, was, that swept some of his men overboard and left others with the likelihood of drowning. With both hands fastened, Onto the wheel of the boat, Newton cried out to God, saying, Lord, have mercy on us. And after 11 hours of steering, the remainder of the crew found safety with the calming of the storm. And from that day on, Newton dated March 21st as a date set aside for a time of humiliation, prayer, and praise. Upon arriving safely home, Newton did not venture out to seek more slaves. Instead, he began to learn Hebrew and Greek. He occasionally accepted a request to speak about his conversion in front of various congregations. Newton was eventually ordained and began to lead his own church. God changed him from a man who was an advocate for the slave trade to a man actively working towards abolishing it. Newton's literary work against the slave trade encouraged abolitionist William Wilberforce to continue his legal fight against slavery in England. Newton was a man that despicably, despicably sold other human beings in the slave trade. And as he states in the hymn, he was a wretch. But God found him. He was saved by God's amazing grace, and that is the grace that sets God's people free and we freely accept it for ourselves. You know the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Song the sound that had saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. The last verse, through many dangers, toils, and snares we have already come. I almost feel like singing it. I can't. Avoid singing it. Uh, to us, grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. Grace will lead us home. So Newton immediately relates to Jesus' redeeming grace. He used to either pick up or buy slaves only to sell them to a slave master, slaveholder. But he experienced being bought at a high price. Jesus' blood only to be given freedom. And that is what grace is. He gave himself for us. That he may redeem us. He buy us from the slave markets of sin. And give us freedom. And that is biblical redemption, guys. Jesus pays the price by exchanging his place for ours. And Paul goes on to say in these last couple verses that he redeems us from a life of lawlessness or from every lawless deed. The word is anomias and it means no law, a life of iniquity, a life of disregard for God, really. Uh, so God, God pulls us from there in order to purify us. And again, this is a twofold aspect of God's grace in this section. So, so the first one is, is the fact that he, he, he saves us from the penalty of sin justification and on the other side there is an emphasis on sanctification to be saved from the power of sin and everyday thing so jesus not god not only justifies us but he desires to take us on to perfection and to eventually be zealous for good works 
And again, there is an emphasis on doing what's right at, at every level. At work, at school, church. Or going down the freeway with our neighbors to do what's right at every level. To bring honor to God as his ambassadors. Now, good works refers to something beautiful, something excellent of choice. And we would have a desire for doing this. Now, I have much to improve in this area. And I hope you, I hope you can recognize that you do also. And last but not least, grace trains us to remind ourselves of these things. This is what we should do as a church, to constantly remind each other about God's gift of redemption and his desire to, to, uh, to see us do good, exhibits excellence. Now, this is basic Christian stuff, right? Sure it is. It's easy, simple. Uh, notice Paul says, let no one despise you. So that may be a reason why some would despise or consider themselves beyond these simple commands. But let not one person despise it, Paul says. So look above and look forward to Jesus' coming, the day when we will see him and be like him. In our Bible's last book, the book of Revelation, we read, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that it not only justifies us, but it also teaches us to live a, God, a life of righteousness, life of godliness in everything we do. And this morning, we do look forward to that day when you will meet us in the air. We will glorify our bodies. And we want to be with you, Lord. So we ask that you encourage every one of us. You bless our time this week and everything we do. That's our endeavors. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Close. Close.